We come to chapter 11 in the book of Revelation. And when you first read it, you ask yourself, what does this mean? Now, I thought, I'll save the book of Revelation towards the end part of my career so I could bring to that book my years of biblical scholarship. But now I realize all my years have kind of hit a wall. I read eight commentaries on this chapter. None of them agreed. And so I just prayed and prayed and prayed praying that God would give me a message from that chapter for this church in this time. So that's what I'm going to bring to you today. Uh, Nothing I'm going to say is uh, different than what you've already read in the prophets or in the New Testament. So I'm going to give you a synopsis of the chapter that will set the context for you. And then we'll read the chapter and hopefully the context will help you make sense of what we will read. So the chapter begins with John measuring or told to measure the temple. The temple is not a physical building in this chapter. It's a spiritual temple. It's made up of the people of God. There's a temple on earth because there are saints on earth. There's a temple in heaven because there's saints in heaven. But while the church is on earth... It's trampled on by the world, led by a person who's known as the beast. He's inspired by the devil. But even though the devil tries to trample on the church, the church is still to bear witness to Christ and the church will do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by introducing us to the beast, John is pulling back the curtain. And he's showing us that there's a war going on. And for the next few chapters, we will read about different battles in this spiritual war. So now let's put the passage on the screen. And we're going to read this text out loud. Ready? I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. Fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. That's how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them. Their bodies will lie in the public square 
some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. So John is given a measuring stick. We don't know how long it is. There's no markings on it. He's just told, measure the temple and the worshipers. So suppose I was to give you this stick and told you, measure the church. Where would you start? Would you start on that corner? Maybe start at that corner? Would you think, well, maybe I ought to measure the whole church property on the outside of the building? And then maybe you'll think, well, maybe I should measure, uh, you know, all that land that's on the other side of 19th and where the disc golf course is. But we're not told how long this stick is. There's no markings on it. John never gives us numbers. In fact, he's told, measure the temple and its worshipers. And now maybe you realize, oh, the temple isn't a physical building. Maybe it's the people of God. That's how the chapter starts by telling us that there is a temple of God and that the temple is made up of people. And this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are a temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell in them. So the temple is us. It's the church. There's a temple on earth. In verse 19, we'll read that there's a temple in heaven. That's because there are saints. You're the saints. There's saints on earth, and there are saints in heaven. Then John is told, don't count the inner court. That's given to the Gentiles, meaning uh, only count as the people of God. Only count as the temple where the priests are. Priests are the saints. They minister to God. But then we read in verse 2, do not, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. I think what this is saying is that the world will trample on the church for a period of 42 months, but that's symbolic. 
42 months is equal to three and a half years. Half the number of seven, every number in Revelation has a meaning, but we've heard and seen that number three and a half years before. It was in Kings chapter 19 where Elijah prays that it doesn't rain and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. It's a time of judgment on Israel accompanied by the preaching of Elijah. And isn't that what we've been reading the past few weeks? That we are to preach and that will be accompanied by the the judgments of God? And then the text says in verses three and four, and during this time of judgment, I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord. So who are those witnesses? Some people will say that they are end time prophets who will preach for that period of time, but... 1,260 days equals three and a half years. Three and a half years is a time of judgment. These witnesses will preach during the time of judgment. And they are told that um, they are two olive trees. Now, who could these be? They, they could be end time prophets. But I'm today going to say I think it's the church. And here, here's how I get that. In the previous chapter, John took a scroll, the word. He ate it. And it tasted sweet, but also made his stomach bitter. He was acting out what the church was supposed to be doing. Take in the word and preach it. Some people will think it's sweet. Some people think it's bitter. And now chapter 11 continues and we're continuing to be told what the church is supposed to do. We are to witness. There are two witnesses because everything is established by the testimony of two witnesses. And John says, they are two olive trees. All right, I've read that before. Zechariah, there's Zerubbabel and there's Joshua the high priest and God says to them, you are two olive trees and you are a lampstand. And then he says, here's how you're gonna rebuild the temple. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Olive trees produce olives. Olives back in those days, did not go on martinis, they went into making oil. Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. Zerubbabel and Joshua, you will rebuild my temple not by might or force or by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And now we're told the church will bear witness by the spirit of the Lord. The prophet Joel told this to us. We read it in today's order of worship. Then in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people, on all my people, and they will prophesy. And then it says of these witnesses that they'll wear the clothing of repentance. They won't be judgmental type of preachers. They'll be repentant preachers, calling others to repentance. 
And they'll have power to call down judgments from heaven. God's power will accompany their witness-fueled, their their spirit-fueled witness. But they are not immune to attack. There is a beast that rises up from the abyss, who rises up from hell and attacks them. So who is the beast? We'll talk about him more in chapter 13. But remember, this is written to seven churches, historical churches. They would read that and think, the beast is Domitian, the Roman emperor. Domitian has declared himself to be divine, the son of Apollo. You have to declare in one of his temples, burn incense to his statue and say, Caesar is Lord as an oath of loyalty. And if you don't, you're attacked. The seven churches think Domitian is the beast, and he is a world leader inspired by the devil. But the spirit of the beast is at work in the world in all ages. Now, by being introduced to the beast, we are being introduced to another window that's being opened for us. Remember, revelation means to reveal. And in chapter four, the curtain was pulled open and we saw a throne and God was on the throne. And we saw a sea that was chaotic, but God was on his throne and that's telling us, hey, the world looks like it's chaos. But God's sovereign, he's on his throne. And then we saw a lamb who was slain, he overcame by his death. He's also on the throne and he receives worship. And then we're shown the end game, everything that God's working towards. He wants to redeem for himself a people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And we see that all these different peoples worship him and prayers are brought before him. And and then we learn from this window that our prayers and our worship is brought before the throne and it joins theirs. One curtain opened. Then another curtain is opened and we see four horsemen riding on the earth. They're always on the earth. But then along with those four horsemen are seven trumpets, seven warnings, seven judgments that sound the alarm, calling people to God, calling people to repent. And that the church is to be preaching during this time of judgment, during the times of the trumpet. And now another curtain is opened and we see that behind the chaos and the evil of the earth is not just the Roman emperor, but an emperor inspired by the evil one who will be at work in all ages to destroy the church. Do you know that Satan wants to take you out and take down his church, take down the church? So this is the window that's been open for us and we're gonna talk about it for the next few weeks. 
Now let's go to verse 7. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some people from every tribe and language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now, sometimes prophecies have repeated fulfillments. One commentator said that the three and a half years represented the 350 years that Rome would persecute the church, that the beast would seem to prevail, that he would kill many saints, but in the end, the church survives. In fact, the martyrdom of the saints leads the church to thrive, and they actually win the empire. But you know, the church has always been persecuted. It was persecuted by Rome. Starting in the 600s, it's persecuted by Islam. The church was persecuted during the Reformation. And today we see in communist countries and in Islamic countries, the church is persecuted again. And we see that in this persecution, the saints are put to death. And we, we might wonder, God, why would you do that? Why would you allow that? But we're being told in advance, God is letting the beast kill them. Now, these witnesses are killed, but they are resurrected. They ascend into heaven. And the same is for us, right? Our bodies are not going to last forever. So whether we're witnessing to the Lord or for the Lord or whether we're just sitting in our pew waiting to go home, your bodies are not meant for eternity. But eternity matters. And so live for the Lord. Live as a witness for him. We're not to fear death or harm. Yes, death and harm might come, but there's resurrection and ascension and reward. Now, this passage not only tells us that we are to be witnesses, not only does it tell us don't be afraid of what might happen if you're witnesses, but now it's also telling us how we witness. Because the witnesses are told, you are olive trees and you are lampstands. Olive trees produce oil. Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. Your witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not only our source of power, it's the source of our light. This is a lamp from uh, 
zero, BC, zero AD, zero BC. It's, it's, a, it's a lamp from those ancient times and you put oil on it and the oil, the wick absorbs oil and, and the oil is what brings light. Now, I was asked by uh, the pastor of missions if I would give a, a brief update on our Spain trip and I thought, okay, I'll slip it into my sermon. So we got back from Spain uh, two weeks ago and here's how we went. Holy Spirit, we're gonna be submitted to you. Holy Spirit, we're gonna listen to you. Holy Spirit, we're gonna ask you to fill us. Holy Spirit, everything we do, we want you to lead and we want to do that in your power. We started to prepare for that kind of ministry before we ever left. We emphasized that kind of ministry in our team meetings as we prepared for ministry, as we did ministry. Got it? Because we could have gone to Spain saying, well, we'll come with our Eastminster know-how and we'll show you how to do ministry. No, we came submitted to the Spirit. So the first night of ministry, uh, I, I preach that night. It's in uh, English. They translate it into Arabic because it's an Arabic-speaking church. And after the sermon, I invite people forward for prayer. There's about 45 people there. But for the next hour and a half, I'm praying for people. They invited their Muslim friends. Even Muslims came forward for prayer. And the Lord gave me words for them and other people ministered in power. Tuesday, we do a, a staff retreat and a, a staff meeting for them. And um, afterwards, I, I told the team, you're just gonna lay hands on them. You're gonna bless them. You're gonna ask the spirit how to pray for them. And they ministered in power. I had some encounters with men where the Lord just told me, Say this, and I said that, and, and it connected with them, and they were open to Christ. Women held a, a, a prayer meeting and a lesson, and as they worshiped and as they prayed, the presence of the Spirit was, was palpable. You could feel it. This is how the church is to do ministry. This is how we witness we submit to the Spirit. We ask to be filled with the Spirit. Does not the Spirit tell us, be filled with the Spirit? And then we minister, led and empowered by the Spirit. This is what the, this chapter in the book of Revelation is telling us. This is how we are witnesses on the earth. It's this kind of witness that will win the world. It's this spirit-empowered life that will put the death, the flesh. And our prayer time after the sermon will focus on asking for a filling of the Holy Spirit. Now our passage ends this way. It's gonna sound terrible, but it's actually hopeful words. Verse 13, that's when the witnesses um, are killed. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 
7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. Now remember the, the, the numbers in Revelation all mean something. Very few of them are literal. And if uh, you mention the word 7,000, well, we've heard that number before. We read about it with Elijah. He's running away from Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. She's also inspired by the demons. She's also like a beast. Elijah says, you know, you've killed, she's killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left. And there's no one in Israel who believes in you anymore. And God says to Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal. This means that 7,000 are a remnant of believers. Now we come to the book of Revelation and we read that number 7,000 and we learn that 7,000 die in the earthquake, but there's nine-tenths of them who survive and they give glory to God. Here's what that passage is saying. When you combine the witness of the church, the spirit-empowered witness of the church, and you combine it with the judgments of God, there's going to be a great harvest at the end of the age. And this great harvest will happen even as the beast tries to take out the church. So what's the message of chapter 11? Well, that... um, There's someone behind the scenes battling God and the saints for the earth. That there are people inspired by the beast. They represent ungodly and worldly governments who come after the saints. We're told that we have to be ready for for that kind of life where even governments might come against us. Can you see how that might be starting to form? This is the time to decide how we will live. What we will do when it gets really hard. What stand will we take? This is the time to make those decisions. And in the meantime, we do our ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, here's a picture of the church in America in too many places. They're like a man from the Amazon who was given a power saw and told, cut down some trees. So the man takes the power saw and tries to take down a tree like this. After a while, it just gets heavy and it's, it's hard to cut down that tree. So he goes back to what he knows. That 
hack away at the tree. And you know, he does take down that tree, but it takes him an hour to do so. The man who gave him the power saw comes back and says, how many trees did you cut down? He said, one. Only one? He goes, well, yes, I had to use my machete because I didn't know how to use what you gave me. So I used what I knew. Reminds me of the church sometimes. The Lord told us he'll give us his spirit. But we go back to what we've always known. That's how we've always done ministry. Or maybe we're just afraid that we won't know how to handle it. The witness that will win the world is witness powered by the Holy Spirit. This is how we will win the world. Even when the beast comes against us.